Welcome to Shit Your Teenagers Won't Tell You, a podcast about everything you need to know about teens. I'm Kathy. And I'm Meredith. And we speak teenager. Uh, did we also mention that we're best friends? We've worked as admission officers, prep school administrators, and most importantly, have coached thousands of teens. In other words, we have seen it all. So join us every week as we give you the lowdown on all the shit your teenager isn't telling you. Because trust us, there's a lot of it. And if you don't know what to do with the teenagers in your life, don't worry. We've got your back. everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Shit Your Teenagers Won't Tell You. And today we have a very special guest, Wendy Sterling, who I'm going to introduce in a moment. But Wendy and I know each other from my Menlo days. She worked with a lot of our students on sports nutrition. And I always had her come in every year to talk to our seniors about healthy habits in college, especially around food and when you have pizza around you every night at around midnight. (laughs) How do you make better choices for yourself when you make that transition? So Wendy Sterling, she has many letters behind her name. That's how you know she's fancy. (laughs) I'm like, ooh, M-S-R-D-C-S-S-D-C-E-D-R-D-S. So basically, she's a certified eating disorder registered dietitian and approved supervisor through the International Eating Association of Eating Disorder Professionals and a board certified specialist in sports dietetics in the Bay Area in California. And most importantly, perhaps she is a mother. And she has worked with so many teenagers. And that's, I think, something we love about our show is that the guests that we bring on have real experience with teenagers like out in the wild. Wouldn't you say so, Meredith? In their natural state. In their natural habitat. Wendy has seen teenagers in their natural state, which let me tell you, is not for the faint of heart. (laughs) Exactly. Because, you know, it's one thing to be able to do all the research. It's another thing to put it into practice. So that's why we're so lucky to have Wendy here with us today. Because, you know, when you work with teenagers, when you are a parent, diet and nutrition is central to raising healthy kids. So her most recent book, which she helped co-author, is Raising Body Positive Teens, which if you are a parent, that is absolutely something that you want, not only for yourself, but you definitely want for your kids. So Wendy, that was a lot. (laughs) You do so much and so much good with so many teenagers. I think the first question that I have for you was definitely at the forefront of my mind when I was working at Menlo. And working with as a senior class dean and working in the human development kind of wellness space at Menlo is what are the signs first? How would you define disordered eating? Hmm. And then what are the signs? What are some of the warning signs that adults and parents, what should they be looking out for? Yeah, first, thanks to you both for having me and bringing to light these issues of adolescent nutrition I'm happy to be on your podcast. I love listening to it. I'm a fan. So thank you. Thanks, Thanks, Wendy. Yeah, thank you to you both. So disordered eating is so common and it could be something like missing a meal, skipping a meal, compulsive or binge eating, compulsive exercise, restrictive eating. It could be using laxatives, diuretics, vomiting, But there really is a spectrum that we see of eating disorders where it might just start out as a few behaviors and go all the way through until before somebody is officially diagnosed with an eating disorder. I will also just say that in a world of diet culture and dieters, 
There are many traits that even dieters have that mimic disordered Mm -hmm. eating, things like calorie counting, dissatisfaction with body image, weight loss, preoccupation with weight and shape. And so we have seen this escalation of dieting, of eating disorders that have come from the pandemic. I mean, literally Mm -hmm. an explosion Mm -hmm. that has been felt globally. And so clinicians, providers, gym coaches, parents, everyone really should be on the lookout for signs and symptoms that really affect everyone, people of all sizes, genders, races, ethnicities, ages as well. It's not just Mm -hmm. an adolescent problem. It used to be thought it just affected teens, but we're actually seeing this in older people as well. And so I would say that things to know that it's also not just a problem for people who are emaciated. People used to think this was something that only happened to super skinny people, but it's not. And you can't tell just by looking at someone that there's Mm -hmm. a problem. You also can't tell how sick someone is by looking at them either. And clinicians miss the diagnosis, males, those in larger bodies, minorities, just totally often missed by clinicians, by parents, by themselves, not Mm -hmm. recognizing Mm -hmm. that there are issues. What we'll see and what people should be on the lookout for is just even an interest in food and exercise, sorting foods into good and bad, this preoccupation with body shape, body checking, which is repeatedly touching your body, examining your body, scrutinizing your body in the mirror, Mm. weight loss, especially weight loss during adolescence, which is a rapid time of growth and development. That's a red flag. Losing a menstrual cycle, which we know our males aren't going to have, but the equivalent would be loss of testosterone levels, which you're not going to know unless a doctor checks, unless there's an issue. Obsessive thinking, rigidity, lack of flexibility around food, lack of spontaneity around food, Mm -hmm. reduction of foods that you'll eat. Avoidance of social situations, no longer wanting to go to the team dinner, no longer wanting to come to dinner, you know, so these are things typically that become problematic. Yeah. Oh, man, such good stuff. As you were talking, I was thinking about a close family friend, a child of a close family friend, and I was like, oh, and I had this kind of moment this summer when I saw them and they had been on a diet and had lost a lot of weight. I had this moment where I was like, should I say something to their parents? Because is this concerning behavior, right? How would I explain to this mom that mom and dad, I actually think the weight loss is pretty extreme. And here's some signs that you should be looking out for. So as you were talking, I was like, oh, this is super helpful. So Mm -hmm. my follow up question to that would be if you so if you're a parent or an adult who notices this, how do you broach that conversation with the teenager? Well, first of all, I think you tell them what you're observing and why you're concerned. And it's always great to focus on behaviors and usually less about weight. So Mm -hmm. I might say to the teen, you're not hanging out with your friends anymore and you seem really upset and irritable and you're not hanging out with me anymore. And you don't, you know, you seem really sluggish on the field and you used to be the first one at the finish line and your performance is decreasing. So if you can focus on some of those things, I think it's really helpful. But I do try to recruit the help of other experts when I get concerned or when parents get concerned, I would recommend doing that. So for example, going to 
a medical provider who might be savvy about these things. And pediatricians, I think these days are getting more equipped with eating disorder knowledge because they've had to. Typically, we've turned to adolescent medicine providers who are the experts with eating disorders, but our pediatricians are are really now on the front lines more than ever with this pandemic. Their offices are flooded with patients with eating disorders, sadly. So I would go to a medical provider like a pediatrician and have them assess what's going on with this weight loss. And typically you'll find that there are a lot of consequences medically that can happen to someone who's losing weight like that or has lost weight like that. They'll fall off their growth curves. There might be some stunting in height. The medical provider might find out that the person has not had consecutive menstrual cycles mm-hmm. or they might have a low heart rate that is in a dangerous level. There can also be changes in blood pressure and pulse in different positions. So that is known as orthostasis. We'll see changes as well in pulse from lying to standing as well. And so those are concerning vital sign issues that a a doctor can let us know. And then we can say to the young person, and you're having some medical changes here, like this is not a good place for your body to be. We're not happy with where you are here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, because I see what I see in society is this like super diet focused. So the weight loss, this teenager experience was seen as positive, right? Right. And reinforce probably. Exactly. Like, oh, you're, you look so great. You're so healthy now. You're so health conscious. And I'm like, well, how do I broach the idea that it's maybe not right? Yeah. So I had a patient yesterday who was like, knew that she was in a lot of trouble and her behaviors were super concerning. And she was like, everyone around me was giving me Mm -hmm. such admiration. Yep. And she was just, she knew in her gut and that even though she was struggling and really in it, that that was not right. It didn't feel right to her. Yeah. It's such an insidious aspect of our culture. It really is. And I I think it manifests in really gendered, traditionally gendered ways. And I wonder if one avenue and, you know, one question I have is you alluded to earlier that adolescence, as we know, is this period of intense, insane growth physically, cognitively, all the things, right? And yet, as I think about the way we often talk about eating and teenagers, it's a lot of tropes. It's, oh, you got to make sure your refrigerator is totally stocked because you got two boys at home and they're going to just eat their way through it. Or like girls beginning to, and I'm being sort of gendered here on purpose because I think these are some of the the sound bites that you, you hear a lot in popular culture or like, oh, they're teenagers. They can eat whatever they want. Or now that their bodies are changing or post-puberty, you got to be more careful about eating this or that, or that's going to make you break out or just so much association between food, the way we talk about food in adolescence or the way I often have heard it working in schools for a long time has very little to do with like a knowledge about nutritional needs in the phase of development called adolescence. So I know we sort of started with disordered eating, but I would love to hear more about adolescence is a unique period in the lifespan. So like, what are the sort of nutritional needs in adolescence that teens should be aware of that parents and adults should be aware of? Yeah. It's a great way of thinking about things because there's so many myths that come around this time period. And it is such a dynamic window of growth that happens for kids. 
I like to look at adolescents kind of like watering a plant, you know, like plants need sunlight and air and soil and water and all kinds of things to grow. And if you mess up that combination, which by the way, I tend to mess up a lot. I'm not a good plant. I don't know. Like, Gardener. Yeah. Yes. Thanks. Oh, my, my indoor my indoor plants Farmer. are sad. <laughs> right. Okay, Wendy. Thank God I get good to, company. I get to nourish people and not plants. <laughs> but if you eat too little, it can really interrupt growth and development and impact health in the long term and have long term health outcomes, which. So I tend to, when I educate adolescents, and I have the pleasure of doing that for a long time, it's really where I started my career and what I'm really still doing most of my day. I really am talking about whether things are adequate, are they balanced, are people doing this consistently? That's the ABCs, um, how I look at, like to look at things. An insufficient amount, it can really affect hormones, it can affect bone mm. health. We're, we're really looking at building the body literally that a person is going to have for the rest of their life. And this can affect your bone health. We'll talk about calcium. Teens will reach peak bone density, which is the most amount of bone that they'll have for the rest of their life in early 20s or so. Mm-hmm. And so that's important. And without that foundation, they'll have fractures when they're older. Mm-hmm. Like, And we unfortunately see that, that if they're restricting or dieting, they will have a very low bone density. And their calories, their protein needs, their fat intake is high in order to get adequate hormones in order to make sure that they're getting enough. And then you add athletics on top of that. Mm -hmm. And the volume for both males and females are high. And I don't think people often realize that many of the parents I work with don't realize that these adolescents really require way more than they themselves might actually need. Mm. Can I also add layer into this? Something I saw a lot in working with schools is students who were on different types of medication, a side effect of which could be, it would either increase or decrease appetite or it would have an influence on sort of satiation in some way. And this was you know, true for students with sort of attention issues. I had a number yes. of students yep. going through transition and are identify as transgender. And so they were on some pretty gnarly meds, hormone blockers, things like that. And so I also, it would often make me wonder about where do families go to get nutritional, sound nutritional information for their young people, right? For their kids. I think about, I have a lot of friends who have babies and young, young kids and there's so much, it feels to me, and I could be totally wrong, Wendy. So tell me if I am, that would not, that happens frequently. It seems to me that like, there's so much information about what babies need, what are their nutritional needs? And like, what are you supposed to do when the do's and don'ts, right? Mm-hmm. From at a, different from a nutritional, at yeah, different and stages. The different and then stages. it's like, oh, you're 11. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know puberty is happening and that's going to be really highly disruptive to your endocrinological, I can't say that, the hormones. <laughs> Sorry, dad, Dad's a scientist, he's coming on next week, he's going to be disappointed. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, are there resources you like or that you would point folks to who are saying, oh, you're listening to this podcast and thinking, yeah, I mean, I actually sort of don't proactively think about nutrition. I just kind of have my go to Trader Joe's and I just buy stuff. But now that I'm listening to this podcast, I want to be more thoughtful and intentional. Are there sort of resources that you like that you would point people towards? 
Well, I mean, we wrote No Way as a preventative guide against eating disorders, really. It's gender inclusive and written for both males and females and those who identify as non-binary. I mean, basically to talk about a non-diet approach and give an overview of all the aspects of adolescents that are so critical, understanding puberty, talking about stress, understanding how to put food together. And really a critical part of that book was the hunger meter, which we Mm. talk about and I talk about in my sessions all the time, which is when are you hungry and when are you full? And if you can really have a good sense of hunger and satiety, that's a really good thing to Mm. take with you. I educate seniors in high school about that very thing. Talk about pizza, uh, you know, lots and lots of pizza around. Well, if you know when you're hungry and you know when you're full and you can really turn off and be aware of that, Mm -hmm. that's a really good compass to walk around with. I needed that workshop. Can we plug your website? Because I feel like your website's amazing. Oh, thank you. It's sterlingnutrition.com. And I think the latest book that you were talking about, that I think Kathy introduced, Raising Body Positive Teens. I mean, it just feels like it's it's such a great resource and so important. Yeah. But I think it's just one of those aspects of parenting that sometimes gets a little, and as an educator, it's this aspect of health education that sort of falls by the wayside. So anyway, folks, we'll put, include lots of links. Yeah. In this I was just going to say every, episode. we'll put all the links to how to all get in touch links. with Wendy, how to, her website, all her books in the show notes. And I wish I knew you when I was a teenager, Wendy, because I, I am a person who's always struggled with my weight and my body image, and in big part because of some societal pressures, some cultural influences that influence my family and how they talk to me about my body and talk to me about food. I was always told that I was fat growing up. I think parents nowadays, I don't know, I don't hear that as much anymore. I think people are a little bit more aware about how to talk to their kids, but like I was just told that I was fat, (laughs) like straight up by so many family members. Right. And I think some of that in an effort to be, quote unquote, helpful. Right. Like if we tell her she's fat, then she'll want to lose weight. (laughs) Right. And it was never effective. Just by the way, parents, it's not. Of course not. So I'm sharing all of this to say that. And I think there's so many people out there who feel the same way, who have struggled with their body image Mm -hmm. and their weight their entire life. You just kind of go to the grave still wondering if your body is quote unquote normal, if Mm. you're, you know, if you're attractive, whatever the thing is, right? So I'm saying all of this because my question to you really is, and, and I think I'm going to read your book about raising body positive teens, but what are some of the ways that parents can do that. How should they be talking about food? What role should food and nutrition play in their lives? And also, because I think so many, Meredith and I both come from schools in which there were very, and you've worked at so many of these schools, Wendy, like there are very few kids who are overweight. Right. It's really shocking, actually. (laughs) Like I would go to dances and I'd be like, we have no kids who are overweight. Right. Quote unquote, overweight at the school. And very few parents. And very few parents. Also. Yeah, exactly. And so there's a body consciousness, right? There's so much image body consciousness, especially for adolescents. So how do you do that? Especially when you're a parent who's like me is like struggling with your own mm-hmm. hangups around food and, and your body. 
Yeah. So it's Virgie Tovar, who we love and is, works in this space as well. She just co-authored the Body Positive Journal. She says, it's really hard to have a body in this culture. And I love that because it's sad, but it's true. People have for sure lost their way with food. It's just understandable. You know, what you're saying is understand these questions are understandable. We know that parents are going to have their own body image concerns. There's a push and a pull with food because it's just hard to escape. And so we tell parents that all of this is a practice. It's not a finished product. And really the goal is to become awake and aware, really. This idea of like awareness plus action equals change. Because oftentimes we're we're doing things automatically on autopilot, taking in messages, giving back messages to our kids without even realizing what's happening. Mm -hmm. And we might be, mm -hmm. like you said, Kathy, we might be operating based on old stories or beliefs based on these faulty premises to begin with about food, about your body. And so awareness is really that first step. And so we would want you to ask yourself, what do I want to be thinking and feeling and behaving? Do I want to be doing anything differently as it relates to my own food and body? And then the next step is, okay, what? What do I want to be doing differently? Mm -hmm. Parents, as it pertains to their kids, really hold a lot of power. What you say, what you do, how you act, your kids are watching every single thing. They're watching what you're, like how you're looking at yourself in the mirror. They're watching what you say when you eat food. If you say like, I'm gonna, you know, we and we talk about this a lot, like I'm gonna get boba, but only after I go hiking first. That is sending a message that you can't have a dessert unless you burn something off first. Mm -hmm. And then it creates some confusion because that translates to your kid like, oh, wait, my friends are going to get boba. Does that mean I have to go burn something off first, but I didn't burn something off first. So wait, can I have boba? Or ah, do I not go with them? Like, what does that mean? So if you only talked about food or desserts in terms of doing something as a compensatory mechanism after or mm -hmm. to earn it, you really mm -hmm. send this confusing message to your kid and they can't develop a piece around food when they have pizza. If you say pizza is A, B, and C, or if you say a brownie is A, B, and C. So it's a very subtle messaging that we dissect and we try to talk about and catch and educate parents about so that they can, even if they're not maybe feeling great about, they can begin to catch these subtle messages and unlink them, you know, in their conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. Like I wrote down as you were talking, I was like, awareness plus action equals change. And I think that awareness piece creating space to maybe with compassion, look at our behaviors from a slightly yes. different angle, you know, to not sort of fall into the trap of self-judgment, but to have curiosity about, yes, you know, this conversation just alone is making me curious about my own sort of automatic patterns related to eating. Kathy has mentioned them many times <laughs> on the podcast <laughs> in previous episodes. Because I tend to, Wendy, just so you know, I tend to not get very hungry until about now. And then I'm like, like, a, starving. The, well, then I'm like at a bat out of hell till about nine o'clock at night. And <laughs> I love it. And it's interesting to think about, okay, well, at this stage of my life and sort of given the things that I do in the day to day or the exercise that I'm getting right now, just our habits, do those habits make sense in this current context? I wanted to ask you, 
Kathy and I have worked with a lot of athletes and I was, as you were talking, I was thinking about this at the previous school I used to work at. I would often after school go into the gym and work out. And there would be a lot of the student athletes were training in there as well. And I would always see, not always, but frequently I would see many of them toting around their absurdly large protein shake bottles <laughs> filled to the brim with some mysterious white powder and liquid. And because it's me, I would often be like, did you eat real food today? <laughs> Which is probably not a great way to approach that. But I would sort of ask them, you know, because I, I had seen them at lunch and, you know, I did you chew something today? Did you chew something today? Right. Did you? <laughs> exactly. And also, I and I also just sort of questioned this sort of athletic obsession with protein as an idea. So I'm curious for those students who are athletes, serious athletes, active, you know, maybe it's dancing, maybe it's football, maybe it's could be lots of different things. And also I noticed how depending on the sport you played or the activity you pursued, the sort of stereotypes around diet and nutrition really shifted a lot. You know, what should parents think about if they have an athlete at home? What would be if you're working with student athletes, like what are some of the broad strokes, some, some do's and don'ts think about that you would give them? Yeah, well, let's first talk about protein supplements for a second because you brought it up and yes, I hate good. to not comment on it. Yay. So far and away, most of my high school athletes probably don't need a protein supplement. The American diet is really high in protein and you know, athletes in general have probably need about twice the recommended daily allowance than non-athletes, that is true, but they're able to hit it in a regular diet if they're having protein at all of their meals. And it's really easy to do. And and I like to recommend that there's a calcium source. And ideally, if it's cow's milk, cow's milk is really high in protein. And if it's a dairy alternative, a dairy alternative, like a soy milk or fortified flats milk or a ripple milk, like a pea protein milk, which does have protein too. These things all have protein. There's lots of protein floating around. And so typically, they don't tend to need it, except if you're maybe a vegetarian or a vegan, or if you're someone with limited preferences, if you're falling off your growth curve, maybe we might need some extra protein or we might, but, but protein shakes can be helpful for people who are trying to add mass or gain weight just because they're easy and portable, but it doesn't have to be a protein shake. It could be just like a shake right? Like that's super convenient and portable. And same thing with a, a bar. People love bars. It could be a protein bar, it could be a carbohydrate rich bar, but it's just that it's portable and easy to take with you. If someone is taking a protein shake or a protein powder, it's really important that it's NSF certified or third party tested. And so that means that it's free of contaminants, free of herbicides, pesticides, or just contaminants in general. And that's really important because some of my mm -hmm. patients who are looking to add weight or gain weight, as some of my mostly male athletes might be looking to do, are taking these like muscle gainer shakes. And some of them can be contaminated. There was just a review study that came out hot off the press like a month ago that showed something like, I think it was like 25% of them were contaminated with other substances that we don't want our kids or anyone consuming. So mm. it's really important that these substances, including protein powders that are NSF certified, which is the special certification, you can download the app and make sure that whatever product you're taking has that special certification or informed choice is another one. Mm, that's great to know. And then in terms of just sort of do's and don'ts, I mean, I think for, for athletes in general, 
I would just say they should be really careful, especially in season with any big sweeping changes to their diet. Mm. So I think sometimes athletes, they like to experiment. They're always looking for a competitive edge. And I, I get that, right? They're just looking, does this make me feel better? Does this make me feel better? But sometimes they'll do radical changes and that mm, can be problematic. Like, so for example, when Game Changers came out, the documentary on vegetarian eaters, or can't remember if it was vegan or vegetarian, but plant-based eating. I had like so many athletes suddenly become vegan or vegetarian eaters. And this is not a commentary about whether that was good or bad, but just that they didn't know what they were doing. And mm-hmm. that resulted in like lots of weight loss, lots of performance deficits and problems. Mm. So sweeping changes, they should really consult with someone before making any radical changes like this. The other thing I would say is that they really should, everyone should have a rest day or two. And often I would say right about now, like in May, when people are getting into colleges and they know where they're going to be perhaps playing at the collegiate level, sometimes I'll see athletes putting in like extra sessions of training and too much training can really backfire. And I don't think athletes realize that they just think I'm going to train, 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 train. I'm going to get ready for college. But often that can lead to injury. It can, there's something called overtraining syndrome. And so those things can, can really be problematic. And then I guess the last thing I would say is that I often see people eating lunch at 12 o'clock and then not eating anything again until dinner. And that's a problem. I want athletes fueling and taking mm. a pre-workout meal prior mm-hmm. to getting on that field. What's an ideal pre-workout meal? Typically, we're looking for something that is rich in carbohydrates that maybe contains a little bit of protein and that is salty as well. Mm. So yogurt and granola could be good. Smoothie, crackers and cheese, you know. What did you say? Yogurt Yogurt and what? Yogurt and granola could be good. Oh, granola. Carbohydrates and a little bit of protein there. Mm. Um, Crackers and cheese. Mm. Muffin could be good. Easy to digest carbohydrates. Okay. I'm like, Wendy, we're, I'm getting free nutritional advice from Wendy right now. I love it. I'm should I happy to. You had me at salty. <laughs> Salt tells the hydration where to go. It tells the fluids where to go. So people are often surprised. Pretzels, like I thought pretzels were just white carbs, they will right. say. Right. And they get very surprised about that. But yes, because they're easy to digest and they are salty. Kathy, you are not to make fun of my saltine consumption anymore. <laughs> I love saltines, but I like to dip love my saltines saltine. in something. Yes. Cheese. Peanut butter. I, yum, yum, yum. Yes. I love, and that's a great combination, right? Because then you get Saltines a little bit of protein, a little cheese. bit of fats. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> but that it's so good. funny that you said yum, that yum, yum. about white carbs, because I think that that's like so ingrained in my head. This is a bad carb. I shouldn't eat this carb because it's not multigrain, <laughs> right? It's not whole wheat. It's not sprouted. <laughs> it can't always be whole wheat, right? We want to, and this is a good food, bad f- food mm. kind of way of thinking, right? We want, sometimes it's whole grain, sometimes it's white. I, I'm really a big advocate of variety and not pointing our finger at food in general, just right. really inclusive of all foods. I have a delicate question that I was thinking about as we were talking and it came up because like a friend of a friend has a child right about the onset of puberty age, who is from the pediatrician's perspective, overweight and has some medical issues that are emerging because of that, or so says the pediatrician. And I say that because 
Well, I'll spare you all my cynicism about the medical industry complex. But anyway, so let's say a parent is concerned about their child's weight. Cause I think this is, re- you know, we tend to talk about disordered eating in the mm-hmm. sense of like, you're worried your child is lost too much weight or is too right. thin, right. but let's say it's the opposite. Let's say you're concerned that your child is, has gained too much weight or you're, or there are some physical ailments. Maybe they're not as mobile. They're having difficulty with something what is it is a generative and wholesome way for a parent to approach that conversation with their child that doesn't, as you say, sort of avoid some of the, the pitfalls of like shaming do's and don'ts, rigidity, making food about morality, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's similar to the same way you would address it in someone who lost weight, I really like to think about it in terms of, in terms of behavior, you seem to not be hanging out with your friends anymore, you seem really sad, you don't want to go out and do things anymore, like what's going on? How can we help without assuming it's about weight? Mm -hmm. Because we like to look at things holistically, how are you sleeping? How are you socializing? How are you eating? Is there binging going on? I wouldn't assume there is binging going on, but I would be curious about eating patterns and movement patterns and psychosocial well-being and really give the, the kid a chance to talk about how he or she or they are feeling and open up the channels of communication so that we can see what's going on. I love that because I think it's like how we talk about so many other things, right? If you're worried about your child's mental health, it's approaching it from this holistic standpoint of like an overall wellness assessment, right? You know, so it's not pigeonholing or assuming that it's only because of this thing, because of this thing, right? right. It's like, oh, it could be because you had a really difficult friend interaction the last couple of months. And that's just been really tricky for you. And Part of what we need to do is learn how to cope with the stress that that brings up for you. And I, I, so I so appreciate that sort of holistic approach and that reminder. So Wendy, I'm conscious of the fact that we're almost out of time with you, but we do like to talk about food on the show, <laughs> even though it's not a food show. That's okay. <laughs> Meredith and I <laughs> can talk about what we want because we like food and we're going to talk about it. So in the spirit of loving food. Can you share with us your favorite snack? And then we will, Ooh. Meredith and I will also share your favorite snack right now. You don't have to think like, oh my God, my favorite snack of all time. What is your go-to fave snack? So I love, I don't know if this, what that, this is going to say. I love Parmesan quinoa crisps. Do you guys know them? Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They are so addictive. Are I really, good. really love them. I also really like a good chocolate chip cookie. Ooh, me too. I like a homemade chocolate chip cookie. Yes. With milk. I, I should have. With add. milk. Mm-hmm. Do you, yeah, are you, do you drink milk. dairy? Do you actually drink milk? I do. Oh I my do God. Drink milk. Somebody who drinks milk. Amazing. <laughs> I do. And some of my patients make fun of me because I, I really do like milk. Like peanut butter has to go with milk. Chocolate yep. chip has, cookies totally. have to go with milk. Oh, yeah. totally. I'm the same. I'm totally lactose intolerant, which is why I don't drink milk. But wow. I would, well, there's I, lactose-free milk. There is lactose-free. I wonder. I have never. I have never gone that. the lactose-free milk. I've tried to go plant-based just because seems better for 
I don't know, the planet. I don't know. Because <laughs> everybody's drinking it. I don't know. But anyways, that's great. Meredith, how about you? Favorite snacks. So hard. There's so many to choose from. I love snacks so much. Okay, so there is the bucket of chocolate chip cookies at Trader Joe's that I often I talk know. about. You talk I'm about this all the time. Because it's so good. I will go through that very quickly. I do not and like those I cookies. That, I hate huh? to break it. I don't like those cookies, Meredith. I don't like them. Sorry. That's okay. More for me. <laughs> no problem. We don't need to share everything. <laughs> and then the opposite side of the spectrum. I also really love salt. Like I love salt. So I, I think I, yeah, saltines or crackers, crackers of any kind. I think the cracker is like the perfect vehicle for such goodness. I'm down for like any kind of cracker like item. Sometimes I'm, there's something that like, sometimes it comes with cheese or peanut butter, but sometimes you just want a cracker by itself. <laughs> I find a cracker by itself sometimes a little too dry, but I'm also a salty person. And my favorite snack right now, and I go through, you know, you kind of go through phases of snacks. So this is like mm-hmm. in right now for me is the tamari multigrain rice crackers at Trader Joe's plus dipped in specifically their kale, spinach, and Greek yogurt dip. Okay, that sounds had that so dip. good. <laughs> I am in. You're happy I'm in. That sounds I'm, fabulous. I love it. I take food so seriously. I tell people all the time, every meal is an opportunity to succeed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know if that's a healthy attitude about food, Wendy, but like, I'm like, every meal is an opportunity to have a success in life. <laughs> so. Yeah. At least three times a day, I feel successful. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wendy's like, um, that's not a healthy attitude, Kathy. But <laughs> well, it's just that it sounds like there's a little morality attached to it. Like, yeah. you know, there's a judgment. You might not succeed or there's a way to fail. That's totally. all. Totally. But that's so helpful to hear, right? Mm. Because it's like every meal is an opportunity to have fun, to like totally. bring it home, to rock it, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like pressure. That's totally me. <laughs> you didn't even that say nutritionist. You. That is totally I think, me. I think we need a little word tweak just so nobody feels bad if they, because it sounds like succeed is like kale, quinoa, chicken, tofu-ish. <laughs> I don't think that's what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. What is success? It's so funny. Food and college, this is the same thing. <laughs> totally. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when we talk about like, what does success look like? Let's in broaden life, our in definitions college, of success. academics. Let's expand our definitions. Of exactly. Yeah, oh my God. Yeah. Anyways, it's so great to have you on the podcast, oh, Wendy. This has been so helpful. I feel like I learned a lot. I learned so much. And seriously, I'm going to go talk to a nutritionist because I'm like, I think I don't do some things right. <laughs> Like, or not right, but just like, hmm, maybe. I bet a lot of us, I bet a lot of us could be more mindful and awareness, awareness, right? And benefit, benefit from learning and and spending more time thinking about it and learning about nutrition and what feels good in our body. You know what I mean? Like what works for us instead of just like following all the fads or like, you know, you got to count your macros. Like that's all the rage right now. Right. And I'm like, what's a macro? (laughs) By the way, it? if you've ever tried to count macros, it's hard. I'm like, I have to count something else. I don't want to count anything anymore. <laughs> but anyways, folks, we're going to put all the links up in our show notes. And if you have questions for Wendy, feel free to reach out directly to her on our website. And she also has an Instagram as well. And hopefully, actually, Wendy, we'll, we might have you back. Just saying. Get excited. I'm excited. <laughs> Next time, we'll bring all of our favorite snacks with us. <laughs> 
Well, I'm excited to try Kathy, your snack. That sounds great. I mean, you know, Meredith, <laughs> Meredith less excited about the saltines, but you know, it. it's, it's like, I get it. It's fine. It's like war food. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Wendy, so wonderful to have you. Thank you so much for taking the time and sharing so much wisdom with us. Thank you for having me.